you're very welcome to the Firm and Fast Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Derby. Today's episode is part one of a three-part interview series with the grandee of Irish golf course architecture, none other than Pat Ruddy, the man responsible for the design of Irish courses such as the European Club, Sandy Hills at Rossapenna Golf Resort, the Glass Sheedy Pollen Courses at Ballyliffin, in addition to a plethora of other revisions and new courses since his first course was opened in Castlecomer County Kilkenny in 1969. Part one of Pat's story focuses on his early golfing influences, which include his father, Harry Colt, golf in Ballymoat, names such as Longhurst, Darwin, Warren Wind and Eddie Hackett. We take a look at his first course design commission and tee up the precursors to finding and constructing his opus, the European Club at British Bay County Wicklow. Many thanks to Pat for his time. We really do hope that you enjoy our conversation. Pat, you are very welcome to the Firm and Fast Golf podcast. Many thanks for agreeing to this chat and for graciously hosting me at your home in Dunleary in say, County Dublin. Pleasure to see you here. Before we get cracking, listeners may be interested to hear that the house we're in at the moment used to border the original Harry Coke-designed Dunleary Golf Club. Alas, this bit the dust back in 2007 when the club sold their 78-acre parcel of land to a property developer, decamping to a purpose-built 27-hole facility some nine kilometres away. I believe there used to be a great view of the second green from the back of the house. Yes, I called the uh, overlooked it upstairs. I didn't go golfing busy Sunday for golf. I'd uh, install myself with a newspaper in the loo with a view. And uh, while waiting for more golf first to come up a second fairway, I could read the paper. And I'd see fellas duffing shots and socketing. And uh, I got a great understanding of the humankind. Before we get cracking into the, the great design work that you've been involved in in Ireland, maybe a little bit about the early days and your influences. I believe you were born in Ballina and, and brought up in nearby Ballymote. Yeah, Ballina, County Mayo, beautiful town. And um, it, it's funny how much one thinks of it uh, to this day, every day. You are from where you're from and where your ancestors are buried. And uh, we went down to South Sligo then, and a beautiful place as well. I found uh, I was going to write a book about Sligo some years ago, and um, I started off going over the Ox Mountains uh, from Ballina and down past Loch Talt, and like John Wayne or Jimmy Stewart or whatever, coming in view of Sly County Sligo out through the Windy Gap. And a county populated with angels. They all proved to be angels to me. They were so kind. And I understand your dad was a golfer and a voracious reader of Henry Longhurst. Would I assume correctly that you picked up the golf bug and the Longhurst bug from him? Yeah, Longhurst and, and Darwin and the whole lot of them. And like It wasn't just Longhurst, but uh, he, yeah, there was always reading material in the house. And it was the Dan Ma who, who introduced me to everything I know. And uh, golf uh, took very little uh, promotion. 
and uh, I, I just took it to it like a duck to water. And your dad was a member of uh, County Sligo Golf Club. Yeah, at point, yeah. Ballymore and others, and then um, the small nine holder, and then Ross's was a twenty mile spin down, which we did a few times a week in summer and once a week in winter. And uh, Ross's became. Uh, I, I've had a long, uh, lifelong love affair with that uh, golf course, and uh, Strandhill over the way is beautiful as well, and and uh, but. Hole 10 at Ross's uh, particularly um, blew my mind that uh, stand on the tee there and hit a ball down that um, beautiful valley towards uh, the, the, the um, uh, Ben Bourbon and uh, nothing could be better. And I had the wish, confused now, that I would uh, be buried there under the first, that 10th tee, standing up looking down the valley at the boys going golfing and I'd leave them a few pounds to keep the window clean so I could get a good view. But of course, uh, so many years later, 50, 60 years later, you're down at um, the European Club and that might have to be the final resting place. We'll see. Well, you have options. Yeah, that's right. Good stuff. Um, when do you think you first realised the hand of man came into the design of a golf course? Well, from day one, because, um, you know, um, if man didn't cut the grass, there'd be a lot of golf balls lost. So even from that simple intervention uh, and in, in, in Ballymore, which is a very nice little town, uh, before I was 18 or 17, we had three golf courses in town. Uh, and they were done very simply, as they were in those days. Uh, see, it's not that long ago since even the swanky places cut the grass with a scythe. Uh, the modern triplex moors and all this, everyone is carried away with grandeur. And the fly, no one flew some <laughs> century ago. And the thing has all changed. But um, uh, they, they, what they happened, uh, they would rent a little piece of ground off Farmer Jones out the road, who would allow golf to be played on condition that only so much grass would be cut so that um, there'd be grass left for fodder for his animals. The boys would start to lose uh, balls, so there'd be a bit of surreptitious mowing going on to the extent that they'd be evicted, right? And so three times I was uh, involved in, um, uh, like going out to the Wild West in the old days, the covered wagon, uh, whatever tools they had would be up on the back of trucks, and out to the new site that someone had negotiated and repeat. And it was very simple. Uh, mark, someone mark out the routing, uh, cut the grass, and go golfing within three weeks. And very ba the basics of the game were there, and everyone enjoyed it. Go to the point for the night at the opera. Okay? And they'd improved their golf course. This is all over Ireland, this, and all over the world, I presume, the same thing. Uh, they just uh, uh, cut enough grass to have space to play, uh, cut it short enough to put when you get to the green, which would be fenced with barbed wire to keep the cattle or the sheep off, you see. You learn not to lick your ball on courses like that. And uh, it... Uh, had volunteers then as well because didn't have I at a golf course about five years ago which was uh, in trouble financially and since departed and uh, hit trouble 
And I said to them, how many greenkeepers do you have? And they said, we have one. He comes in on Friday and takes until lunchtime to get the tractor going. <laughs> I said, well, would you not like to have a few volunteers and get it going? Because I stand on the first tee with three inches of grass on it. I said, it'd be nice to at least cut the first tee and give the impression there might be a golf course attached. <laughs> but they weren't interested, you see, and they went under. But in, in the old days, we had volunteers, and uh, when you have a troop of volunteers, I don't know how many people, I was too young, I was only going golfing, I wasn't caught. And anyone who had a nord, this back in the 50s now, anyone who had an ordinary lawnmower, there no electric lawnmowers then, no petrol lawnmowers, anyone who was unfortunate enough to own a push lawnmower got a job to cut a green. And you'd always know... Uh, Shane's green, because you get up to it, he's a lazy son of a bitch, and his green hadn't been mowed at all. So it's a local rule in that uh, you could put your foot down in front of the ball and press the little railroad track to the hole and put. And uh, so it's it's um, the modern person is so sophisticated, it's awesome. But the elements were always just ground, hole in the ground, flag so you can find it, and find someone to try and play you know, you mentioned to me as you, you welcomed me today that you've had a, a love affair with County Sligo Golf Club since you were a child. What has it taught you and, and what sort of an impact and influence has that piece of property had? And what, what lessons perhaps have you, did you learn from it? Well, it's just a great place to be, uh, winter or summer. And I, I used to cycle down uh, from Ballymote 20 miles to play if the dad wasn't going. There's a bank manager's son, Tom Martin, who was... Um, a great friend of mine, he'd call to the house at six in the morning. So if I was sleepy, he'd throw a little pebble up against the window, get my ass out of there. And um, it was just wonderful. I'd head off with a, a ham sandwich in the pack and uh, spend the whole day just going round and round, hitting golf balls. And the local fellas down there, the Gillens and uh, the Brennans and all those, all uh, really, I don't know, it must be the same at Bantray in those places. Uh, but I mean, the local uh, uh, kids were all sodans, all crazy and into golf. There was nothing else to do much in those days, but the game has some sort of magical attraction that entranced us all. And then the beauty of the place, it's uh, you go up to the second green there and look around, you're looking at parts of five counties and not, no obstruction between there and Boston. Pretty good, you know. Alistair Cook in his book, The Marvelous Mania, suggested in the opening sentence, actually, of the book, that we've been playing golf for the last five or six hundred years and nobody has satisfactorily said why. Why do you think us golfers who have the book, what is it about golf that, that, that keeps us coming back? Well, I, I, I've seen it very closely up for the last 30 few years at the European Club, watching people coming from all over the world. And uh, it's a universal bug. It's not just uh, Ireland. And uh, it's just a lovely way to spend some hours, no one out to kill you. You're not worried about killing anyone else. The taxman has the good manners to stay in his office, or if he comes, he'll come golfing. And uh, it's just a wonderful way of camaraderie and gentle exercise. And the huge achievement of uh, hitting a ball up in the air. Uh, I, I, I had um, 
one gentleman out and uh, to teach him golf there about 10 years ago, and 80-something years of age. He had never played golf. And he took swing at a few balls and he uh, missed a few. And then he got one up in the air and he jumped up in the air shouting, Hoo-hoo! <laughs> and going. He couldn't believe that the ball could go so high and far. He was hooked. Yeah. Same with the putt. It goes in. Fantastic achievement, gentle, simple achievement, and then it gets refined. People get better and better. But uh, just a simple thing of the caveman go out and hit something with a stick. Yeah, it's a um, it's a primal kind of. Um... I, I think you're right. It's a beautiful setting in the main. There are very few ugly golf courses, but um, in a beautiful place. I mean, say it's it's a an awesome concept, you see, that only royalty get treated that way in the main because people don't own land. And the only way the general group of people can get out on the golf course, it's, it's been royalty, you see. They're allowed onto the land. When you get there, someone has mown the grass in different textures and shapes for you. The gardeners have been out. If you have the money for breakfast, someone has prepared breakfast for you. So you go golfing and you take lumps out of the place. Some people put them back, some don't. And you come in and someone has a warm shower ready for you, a clean, warm towel, and they serve you dinner or a pint. And that's royal treatment for very little money. Yeah? You first attended the British Open at St Andrews in 1964. I think Tony Lima won the event. What do you recall of your first viewing of the mecca of golf course design that is the old course located in the old grey tune? Yeah, it's it's great. It's it's great. I'd read everything you see about the Morrises and that, so it had a big impact on me. I couldn't wait to get there. and um, But I, I'm that way with I'm sort of a romantic guy when it gets to golf. And um, it's it's one of the several hundred places that almost make me cry when I look at them and think of them. It's, it's just uh, amazing, all the spirits around the place and the majesty of the architecture there and the simplicity of the design of holes 1 and 18, just there in the, uh, a village lawn nearly, and all the history. It's, it's, it's really, um, you want to be without soul, not to be moved. I've yet to have the pleasure. It is very near the top of my list. Um, but but I, I had a similar experience at Kingston Heath in Melbourne a number of years ago. But again, it's probably a mixture of jet lag and lack of sleep. Mm. But that spiritual, almost spiritual in nature in terms of the experience on the golf course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's um, uh, we're so privileged, you know, there's no animal going to jump out from behind a tree and eat you. Unless you're golfing in Florida or <laughs> South Africa or somewhere like that. <laughs> but it's, it's, um, but no, it's, it's a very special place. And, and uh, every time I go there, but I get the same for Troon and the same for Royal Birkdale. I love coming up 18 at Birkdale and uh, coming home here at the Red Roofs out at, uh, Port Monarch and Royal Dublin and that. I mean, so there are scenes that are just, uh, before you get there, they're, they're embedded in your uh, mind through photographs. When you get there, you see them and you see them and you see them and that's who you are. 
we'll get on to your design work pretty quickly, but I'd like to just take a look at your writing and your publishing. I believe Henry Cotton's golfing album and the Sunday Times golf dispatches from Henry Longhurst may have been central in inspiring you to become a freelance golf writer. What can you tell us about the inspir- this inspiration and your first published steps into writing about the little white ball that we all chase? Um, the the um, an amazing thing that the books around you, you know, the, the first golf book I actually owned was uh, uh, The Knave of Clubs, uh, uh, Eric Brown, the Scottish man, and uh, I read it backwards and then uh, got... Uh, was that an instruction book or uh, no? It's just his life. Okay, just his life. Then I got that book, my golfing album, and uh, from Henry Cotton, and straight away. Now, to keep in mind the setting, we're down in the west of Ireland, post-war, and everything is nice. But uh, the sophistication he brought into your life straight away with uh, even the uh, the front cover, a cashmere sweater, is a cashmere sweater man, you know, and then. Uh, the frontispiece, him standing uh, at, at the top of the hill, uh, addressing a ball and a heap of balls beside him on the ground, which you couldn't get balls after the war. This was good. This guy had and, balls. And the, and the shag bag as well. Yeah, this guy had a balls. Blast from the past. Yeah. And all the daisies on the tee and him looking into the camera and uh, the cashmere sweater again, polished shoes, never any dirt on them. And uh, the, the hair brushed back, sleek. And the caption said, um, uh, what did it say? The incomparable thrill of driving downhill. And I say, yes, as long as you don't top it. <laughs> well, if you top it, you'd probably have a downhill shot for your next shot as well. Yeah, well, Blaine Rowe taught me the beauty of the downhill shot in a different way one day, oh, 30 years ago or so. Um, I got to hold eight. I don't know if you're familiar with playing row. I played it once uh, 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 many the, years the ago. The eight is a par three downhill, very steep, and uh, I meant to build a hole like it. Uh, but uh, you'd get up there, it'd be a wind blowing, and you'd hit a high ball out over the flag, but it would drift away because most of the game is played in the air, you know. The 99% of a golf ball's life is in the air. The rest is divided between um, long grass, short grass, and water. But uh, at Ben Road, hitting balls in the go out and go over the pin and then drift away into a greenside bunker. And one day I dropped, uh, topped my drive and it ran down to within six inches of the hole. <laughs> so I said, Holy Jesus, if they mowed that hill, we could have a wonderful uh, par three all putting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Very good. Yeah. Very good. Um, Some son of a bitch would come and put. Uh, a front bunker in or something, and uh, but as uh, long as you keep him at bay. What can you tell me about your start as a freelance journalist? Well, the, the, my first uh, decent paycheck was. Um, I wanted to be. I loved writing. I, I loved reading, and I loved writing. And um, uh, my father and mother were into the literature. I had an aunt uh, who had a private school in Balnass. I went there for a while, and she took a particular interest in my grammar and everything. And uh, I, I got a way to uh, writing 
essays. A sister of mine, Finola, helped me how to do essays, gave me a start to a life and essays, everything, a bright blue sky with little white clouds dotted here and there, greeted me when I woke up one morning. I could have jumped for joy because I was going to the beach and I might meet Shane Darby there. <laughs> and that's got you started. You could actually get started on telling your story. And then always have an ending, a return home tired but happy. You see, you always have, and then you stuff in an awful lot of verbs and adjectives and nouns in the middle. And um, so I, I wanted to write, and I, I wrote to the local papers letters. I loved writing letters. I still do. And um, the um, uh, then uh, it came uh, the turn of... Um, the uh, carrier player victory in in uh, the British Open, you see. And I've been writing to magazines all over the world uh, saying, would you take some uh, news from me, snippets, and Australia, South Africa, America, all over the place. And um, uh, R.G. Fall, a Scotsman, owned uh, South African golf. And Gary Player started to win the Open, you see. And I wasn't at it, uh, but all the newspapers were available. <laughs> so I wrote to R.G., would you like some coverage? He said, give me anything you have. So I compiled 24 pages of the magazine for him and got a good fat fee of the day, you see. A fat fee of the day would be a five or a huge fee because the winner of the Open was just winning a thousand or something. So... um and and to get the international impact was great. Your name was out there. I always wanted to have my name out there. So, so yeah, for one week. And uh, I, I eventually contributed to um, magazines in uh, 21 different countries. And I got to be the standing ghostwriter for people uh, like uh, Leonard Crawley. And uh, Henry Longhurst let me do a few bits for him. You know, to be off doing whatever boys do. And uh, it was great getting on to the uh, offices and the papers saying, uh, you know, Crawley, and they say, oh, yes, Mr. Crawley. <laughs> and I'd have the Irish accent for the very kind. <laughs> I dictate some stuff, you see. They wouldn't be able and, to distinguish between the Irish well, accent. They, I, I'd say they didn't bother. But, uh, <laughs> but I did. Um, and then later on, I had uh, Leonard writing for me. And... Uh, he, he he was very kind. He he didn't want money because those darn uh, inland revenue boys would be on it. So I had to send a bottle of uh, whiskey to him through the local off license, and, and uh, that was his fee for doing a story for the Golfer's Companion. Uh -huh. yeah? And of course, the, the Golfer's Companion is uh, was a periodical that you uh, you published yourself. Too. Yeah, I, I did it from nineteen seventy four or seventy three, whichever. And it started off as a, mag a newspaper, because, uh, but I went colour as time went by. and kept it going for 35 years, I think, um, and travelled travelled over to the open and all that. And uh, there, there's uh, my hero, Lee. Uh, Lee was my hero. And uh, it was a nice magazine. And I used it as my vehicle to travel the world. As the first, um, the, the newspapers in Dublin, I got into the Independent, the Evening Herald. Uh, I pestered the editor at the time, Aidan Pender, uh, to uh, let me write some golf. 
and uh, he eventually relented, you see, and I started off doing a column from uh, Connacht Golf, and then I got up and started doing All-Ireland Golf for them, full page of a full newspaper, five nights a week, and um, but there was no question of going, you could go to um, Britain, all right, but no question of going to America with the masters of that. So um, eventually, um, I, when I started the Golfer's Companion, um, I was able to go to these things. And it was the first, uh, I think it was, a, a, well, I can't say it was the first, maybe, uh, keep in mind, uh, Warwick Thomas and, and Bernard Darwin, a few of them. Uh, but travel wasn't that uh, common then, big, heavy travel. and uh, But I was uh, certainly the first out of Ireland to go into Augusta and those places. And it was great fun, great fun. And um, uh, meeting at the interviews, all these great people, something else, you know. No doubt. I mean, you've mentioned Lee, Lee Trevino there. You've no doubt had a had a couple of conversations with Lee over the yeah, years. Yeah, but he's you? a cowardly son of a bitch. You see, Is he? Missed. Yeah, because um, <laughs> I was starting off the European club. One of my objectives was to hit six million balls and go out and kick his ass on the golf course. But he retired. I wrote to him and told him that. Too. Yeah. <laughs> did you get a Did you get a receipt of that? Uh, 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 yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, they're all, they're good letter writers. These fellas, uh, yeah. they, they say. But uh, it's really uh, an amusing image I had in my mind. And uh, but uh, golf is a difficult game, and uh, the mystery to me is so many mysteries. One is how the hell do you get a hold of one? You know. And I find, I find, well, I don't know. You see, I was down at Truth Lane one night years ago. I had my hip done for the fourth or fifth time, my left hip, and I was going down in the evening to uh, hit some balls and go down the back nine because all the ordinary people will be down the back nine shouting at each other and getting angry as their score went up. And this is what mystifies me. Members have played a course a thousand times, insist on being held up behind each other down the back nine and leaving the front nine empty for Pat. And uh, so I go out there with my wife and we'd hit some balls and got to the eighth one evening, which is over water, and it was getting dusk and hit a very nice shot. Got around the uh, got around the lake. And there was a ball five or six inches from the hole, and I said, "Oh, Bernie, this looks good. Will you pull out the flag there, honey bun?" So she pulled it out and up bounced another ball, and it was a tightest one, and mine was a tightest one. You didn't bother marking them when you're playing on your own, and uh, <laughs> it was dusk, so I couldn't see. And so I said, one was yours, and one was Bernie's. One was a one, and one, and one was a two. Okay. So I said to her, what do you think, honey? She said, oh, it's a one at worst, honey. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then the next episode I had with the whole one was um, at the European even. I got very fed up with this thing. So I went out to hole 14, and I must have hit 500 shots trying to get a hole in one. Didn't get a hole in one, but I got wisdom. It dawned on me that if I learned to hit the green, I might get one. <laughs> then you extend that. If you learn to hit the green as a par three, your whole game will probably improve. You hit an awful lot of fours and fives with your approaches as well. Hmm? But it never dawns on you. You're thinking of the little 
four inch hole or four and a half inch hole and you can't hit the 30 yard wide thing hmm? yeah and it's very unfair to get it but then come in and uh, he doesn't try at all and he gets 10 holes in there you go yeah. I've been fortunate. I've had a few, mm-hmm. but I haven't had a few in many years. Yeah, so. yeah. I had two I, the same year. That was it. I, I, I am going to try again when I resume Dane now in the springtime and uh, and try that exercise again because it would be rather nice. Yeah. Listen, in relatively more recent times, you published books on some of your new courses, Holes in My Head, Beyond His Lordship's Wildest Dreams, and Golf's Twin Miracles come immediately to mind. Um. What have been the main drivers for you in writing and publishing books about your own creations? Well, it's not just about my own, uh, but um, uh, I, I, I'm conscious that, um, you know, if, if, if it's not written, it can be so easily forgotten. And just to put the record there and explain yourself to some slight extent, and because other t- otherwise people simply forget or else they start to um, uh, say incorrect things. They give their opinions, which they, they become mind readers. They know what you thought, and it's, it gives you an opportunity just to leave the record uh, that um, I, I walked this way, you know. And and uh, the, the, as, as the course, uh, golf course uh, industry, cotton industry has speeded up in latter years uh, from the time we used to go out with the hand more. Um, uh, the the, the uh, revisions of golf courses and even revisions, mental revisions before anything is revised at all become part of the talk of the, the ether is full of this stuff. And it's, um, it's, it's nice just to say... Uh, well, in fact, this is the way it is. You see, the um, I did this book, Holes in My Head, because I spend uh, all my... Uh, I never had a night that I didn't have nightmares about golf, you know. And you'd be lying there thinking about it. And uh, I said, I better put it down. i tell you about chess and golf in a minute. But on each of the courses that I um, had um, an input and that were touched by someone else later or something like that. I, I did a sketch map, a route map, and marking in clear color uh, the holes that I did. So that there it is, folks. Um, if you're talking uh, about, I'm just trying to find a map here now. But uh, Adam, there you there go. Are. That's where? Merva. Donegal, Merva. Neddy Hackett yeah. design. He, there is one saint of a man. Yeah, well, we'll get on Teddy now in a second. He, don't he was you worry. Saint. So the ones that are mine are marked, and the ones that are his are marked. Uh-huh. No dispute. Now, if anyone comes along later and does something else, as they will, it's the nature of life. Uh, but that map shows where it was at that time. Okay. 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 So that's leaving your footprint. Yeah. Leaving your footprint. And. Uh, it's 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 um, important to me. One of the um, sort of stupid when you're dead and gone, it won't matter a whole lot. But still, uh, while you're alive, it's better not to be buried alive. That's a good motto to have. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let the sons <laughs> of bitches bury you alive. Eh? <laughs> Listen for. I think. 
for 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 any listeners that might be interested in 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 purchasing any any there's of these, por- there's part yeah, yeah. seven. I've yeah. got you see. Yeah, they don't. Uh, they, they come and they talk and they talk in the magazines, and the, the, there's what I did. You see, I introduced double greens. Uh, got rid of the crossovers. Very dangerous. Very good. It was the first place I ever broke seventy. I love it. Beautiful place. I broke seventy. I said, "Ooh, for me." You see. Then they invited me back to enlarge the course because they bought the extra land. So it changed, except for a few small bits. And uh, so I did it there. The green is the stuff I did. And I did a thing like the double greens for two reasons. Historic place, introduce a little sniff of history. It also makes use of uh, the land that you have two greens in a fairly small area. That's quite a narrow, narrow site as you go out, yeah, as, you, as yeah. you get out from the, the In a small area, you get two uh, parts of two holes and it saves trips in all over acres and acres to get a bigger golf course. So we landed up with quite a decent sized golf course and a beautiful one. Obviously inspired by the old course, no doubt, in terms of the double grains or was it more just function, functional? If you hadn't, you see, I, I believe as a designer, a very modest person, I, just apart from being wonderful and great. But the thing is, uh, you're only as great as your consciousness. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are, it's your consciousness. And your consciousness is fed by what you've seen. So if I was going out now to build a bicycle, I would be inspired to have wheels and a saddle. And, and I might put them sideways or backwards. But the ingredients, same with the house, if we're going to build a house, I'd be informed by seeing thousands of houses, windows and doors and so on. And it's just the form you put them into that makes the difference. And that's the same with music. Uh, there are only, I don't know how many notes there are, but God, you can get a lot of combinations of music out of the sheet of notes. And it's how you do it. But uh, answering your question, yeah, seeing the doubles had to be. Yeah. And and I'm sort of picking up maybe from how you're 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 answering that question that like what is golf ar- architecture? Is it engineering? Is it art? Is it No, it's art. Yeah. It's art uh, subdued into for engineering and you have to do some engineering to to get things to work. But um the thing is that um it, it's it's uh, it's definitely an art, and I, I keep saying this to people. Look, how is it that the uh, the, the um, people's view of golf? They love the golf course. They see it as lovely, and uh, that it's out in the open, mountains perhaps, sky changing, the sea changing, the grasses waving. Uh, the way the people present the grass, uh, movements of the earth. It's an art, the earth is an art form. The earth is an art form. And man gets to tamper with it. Thanks to one thing. God made a mistake. If you believe in God. See, God created the world and rested on the seventh day. The son of a gun didn't work on the Sunday. And could have left it perfect for just, if he got out of bed for two seconds on Sunday. But left a lot for man to do play around with things and uh, so your cooperation with God and nature uh, to produce an art form and then it amazed me the values of uh, different forms of art uh, golf is the least valued form of art uh, these beautiful masterpieces uh, can be had for a song 
when they sold. And yet, you got a picture two years ago of Marilyn Monroe sold for 180 million. So what's art and what's art? It's good fun. I heard somebody say, um, or somebody quote this, that the only two significant pieces of architecture from a worldwide perspective in Australia are the Sydney Opera House and Royal Melbourne. So that probably feeds into your your yeah, your, your artistic yeah. endeavour in yeah, terms of yeah. What I went out to is I think it's called the National now, out on the peninsula. That's right, Mornington Peninsula. Yeah. Out there one day, and uh, when it, soon after it opened, and I remember it's an you go in on a high road. It's the old course now. You're talking about the Robert Trent Jones yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. and then well, there were two or that there at the time. But you go in the high road. Robert Jones, one of my heroes. You go in the high road and in the gate. And there below you is Wonderland. Linksland, 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 Linksland. And then up beyond that, the sea and the sky and everything. And you say, oh my God, I stopped inside the gate down 50 yards down the hill. And I, I nearly cried. It's it extraordinary property. I think they call it the Cupsland. Um, you know, big rolling Duneland meadows kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. A lot of indigenous bush as well, if 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 memory serves, in terms of the old course. Yeah, I, I nearly cried. You see, it's just a wonderful place, a wonderful place to be. Monagard is the same. Monagard is the same in a different way. You go to Monagard for a game of golf in summer. Beautiful golf course, two loops, rhododendrons and what have you, all around beautiful oak trees and sauntering along. And they bring you past the window of the kitchen three times with the smell of the Mullingar heifer coming out. You say, oh, Jesus, where do you want to be? Eh? <laughs> Listen, I'm just interested for, for the benefit of listeners, if anybody's out there and wants to buy any of your your books, are they still available? And how would one go about purchasing? Not I give it, I, I, not readily. I've, I've uh, sold them quite well, you see, in this. We have a sales point at the European Club. And if one person comes in, this is advice to someone who wants to sell a book, make it a limited edition, signed, or uh, build a golf club it's where people come and you can sell your golf book. And because if a party of six comes in and one chap buys a book and wants it autographed, you're away to the races, you know. Otherwise, the general advice is uh, if, you're print, if you're doing your first book, make sure don't print more than a million copies because they're difficult to sell. But uh, no, we, we um, it's a few years now since the last one, you see, and uh, I, I have this problem with my collection. Um, uh, the, the, uh, what are you going to do with it? You see, it won't fit into a coffin too well. So you don't want to keep adding to it forever, you see. It'd be terrible if uh, they're trying to force you into the coffin. You have a handout typing. Yeah, you've got to stop sometime. But... Um, but they're there in the libraries and that uh, we made sure that they're in the library so people can go get them. So you mentioned Eddie Hackett there some time ago. You knew him, you worked with him, you competed with him, I think, I think as well at the well, start. Well, I didn't work with him. Sorry, beg your pardon. You oh, worked no. after, after I, him. I, I, I observed him and he allowed me to observe him. And what sort of person was he? Um, I, I would say he's one of the 50,000 best people I ever met. A really good man. I met a lot of nice people. But he, he was an angel. Like he, he did so many good things for the world. And he was so gentle. I only saw him uh, not lose his temper as much as use his temper one day. He was laying out a hole at venue X. 
explain, we could do this, we could do this. And the greenkeeper stepped over the line and started saying what he'd do. And Eddie had to bring him to one side and say, now, listen to me, young man. Uh, I'll design it. You can maintain it. And uh, so he had a little flash of temper inside him. And uh, But he, he did so much good. He went around this country and uh, I copied him in a very small way. Uh, but he went around the Gulf Union sent him around in the late 50s, 60s uh, to bring uh, mm-hmm. the thought of golf into the townships. And he went around and for negligible fee introduced the game to all those towns. And he, uh, he got paid uh, very little uh, and in many cases did it for nothing, introduced golf to places. And he could have been playing golf at Port Marnock or Royal Dublin or something because he was very popular, very well established as a gentleman and a great golf person. But he, he travelled the country that way. And um, a lot of people know that. A lot of people know that. But it can't be said often enough. No, absolutely. An absolute saint. And I think, you know, and, and the more, no less than your good self, Pat, I think all golfers owe uh, Irish golfers and people further afield to owe yourself and Eddie Hackett a. Uh, you know, you've, you've left some legacy from a golfing perspective in terms of bringing golf to places perhaps where, where it wasn't previously. Yeah, yeah we've had, um, I, I've, I've been, um, we've had failures, you know, and the biggest failure in my book is, is um, I, I um, formed a body back in the mid-60s in the evening hurled, did it when the editor was in holidays. He told me he wouldn't allow me, but he went in holidays and, the sports editor, Mr. Keneally, let me at it, formed a body called the Homeless Golfers Association uh, because uh, the Golfing Union wasn't succeeding in getting the government to establish public golf courses because they wouldn't want to be bothered helping the elite, you see. So I formed a body called the Homeless Golfers and uh, made sure we got games at six in the morning. And every golf course, you know, every golf course from Dundalk down to Ross Lear, gave me a game a year at a shilling a go, which is a good bit of money back then, but a shilling a go. And the guys had to be out of bed early enough, the homeless, and get to play their game of golf and convincing the politicians that uh, we, we would uh, should have public golf courses that everyone could play. Uh, now, it was very heartbreaking at times. I had uh, Sean Lamass and these people in when he was Taoiseach in at dinners in the Winds Hotel and that they're very nice. But the biggest uh, shock of all one time at uh, Dublin County Council, 27 or whatever county councillors, I was in the hall as I went in saying, do it for us, do it for us. They came out and they all said, did my best for your Pat, did my best for your Pat, and we won only one vote. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, uh, uh, then the union helped a bit didn't see the thing the same as me and we had meetings in Milltown but their concept of I said the union should have its own football, golf uh, pitches like the football pitches and uh, but they started very good men and but coming from the elite side they were talked about building country clubs and everything that people couldn't afford you know and it didn't happen but um, uh, that that's um, and I, I watched the television on I switch it off and I'm appalled at how badly we failed because Night after night, 10 or 15 minutes of rugby. I know you're a rugby man, but for Christ's sake, give us a break. Every match is historic, and for weeks ahead, 
historic and now talk about the World Cup still going into uh, uh, and I, I, I love all these guys but uh, they streamed ahead and soccer likewise and Gaelic those other games got much more organised than the golf on the ground and uh, that's the big miss in golf it, it, it's a difficult game to get into because the pitch is much bigger than a football pitch and more expensive to purchase, establish and maintain. And then harder to uh, get onto if um, they go out for a game, you get juniors out playing football for half an hour and you can have 30 kids kicking the ball around. But that doesn't do much good on the golf course. It gets clogged. But that's the biggest miss. And uh, I don't know, when I was in the hurdle, I was eventually put into the stable the uh, the the uh, uh, racing boys were put into a room in their own called the stable and I was the lunatic shouting for golf space for golf take the picture of that horse's arse off the page and put a golfer on it you know and uh, I got five pages a week going because I was there fighting like a tinker but there's no champion in the newspapers now for space. Yeah. And I find that really tragic. But I think I think the, the newspaper game seems to have changed immeasurably like there the, the days of um of actually having golf correspondence seems I mean seems uh, to be all more or less over. I can only think of sort of James Carrigan maybe and Eamon Lynch as as yeah. two examples. But but, but given space. Yeah. To be given space. And um I I, I um uh, think uh, I, I when the Irish Amateur Open was with us a few years ago, I had to search uh, in a paper, which I've been nameless, it was employing me a bit at the time. When I retired from uh, independent newspapers in 1971. And I was on a huge pay at the time, £27, 10 shillings a week. I used to tip as I was going golf and I give the wife a fiver. I thought, oh, you were very generous. But that, that was, uh, inflation hadn't come to town yet. But uh, twenty-seven pounds ten shillings, and uh, but the thing is, um, I, I uh, reckon that uh, the game hasn't been organised on that way to spread it out around, and and uh, hopefully it will. But this championship was on at the European Club. I take this paper and I go looking for the result of the day. Eventually, I find it three paragraphs down beneath something that happened in Las Vegas and something that happened at the ladies tour down one column three or four golf events and the Irish Amateur Championship which used to take up the full page every year three paragraphs it's, now, it's, was, that the year, was that the year that uh, McElroy won or the year that uh, Robbie Cannon won it was um, three or four years ago yeah now the big thing then is you see on the facing page the killer half a page to the final of the Leitrim Football Championship between Mohill and Ballinamore. Half a bloody page to a parish football match and the Irish National Championship, three paragraphs. And I think uh, whoever cares a damn needs to do a job for golf. We maybe would take a look at your at your early inspiration in terms of design. I believe that Jimmy Demerit and Jackie Burke and the Champions Club in Houston, which obviously opened in 1957, may have had something in addition to your the holes in your head that you've been doodling on on, on your, your exercise books at school and so on and so forth. I believe the Champions Club provided some degree of um, of inspiration for young Ruddy. Yeah. Yeah. 
There's Jack Burke. He died just at Christmas. Sent me that book, and I visited him and the great men. I, I was mind blown with the concept. I was down in Ballymote, and we had this modest golf course. We go to Ross's Point, it was great, and heard that these men were going to do a golf course of their own. And I said, my God, imagine having a golf course of your own. And then uh, next thing the word came, Golf Illustrated or something reported, it wasn't in the papers, that these guys were going to call the club the Champions. And I said, oh, yeah, boy, yeah, the Champions Golf Club. And I was sold on the concept. And I went all the decades following, traveling up and down the roads. I'd be going down Mullingar Road. I'd be looking into the fields and see an oak tree or a chestnut tree. And then the field going round it, you say, have to cut the grass there, six iron that way. And you could hit his curvy driver around the other side. It's a sickness, Pat. <laughs> yeah, concept, <laughs> conceptualizing golf holes. Yeah. Down at Nice, there are a couple of great fields down there with lovely trees. And uh, God Almighty, so they, I was sold on that. Yeah. And and they were very kind to me. I, I wrote to them and said, hooray, I'm with you. I was only a kid, but go on with you. And and uh, they responded and met them later and so on. And uh, so, no, golf is nice. Well, life is nice like that. If, if you remain a child and don't overstay your welcome, you get a lot of kindness. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I believe, uh, so So when did you, I, I know your first design was at Castle Comer Golf Club, I think it opened in 1969. I suspect that um, there, uh, and, and you might tell me a little bit about how, how that commission came to be. Yeah. Well, see, Eddie Hackett, whom I praised, was a pain in the ass for a fellow who was trying to get started. Uh -huh. Because he was the king of the castle. Yeah. And wouldn't say bad about him because he was brilliant. But he did block the way. <laughs> he was the local brand name, so. <laughs> he did block the way, yeah. you see. How would you convince people that you could do what he was doing? Uh -huh. You didn't get personal that way. But um, eventually, I, I was getting my, uh, I was up and down the roads a lot as a golf writer. I was I had a map in the office of Ireland. I had all sorts of colored pins stuck in it, like a war room. When did I last write something about Bell Turbot? When did I last write anything about Bear Haven? And I was watching, trying to sell newspapers as well as write about golf. I was trying to use golf as a method for selling newspapers. So I, I did a lot of travel. And very often I'd be passing through Castle Comer. And this fellow, Seamus Farrell, there had a lovely filling station I'd pull in for a Coke and a can of petrol and talk. And then I'd go up there in their junior scratch cup up on the hill, as it was called, and uh, became friendly. And then it came the time that they were in uh, trouble. They were, had to leave the old course up on the hill and uh, asked me, could I help them a bit? So I helped them to the extent of even doing... Uh, a report for the bank, you know, and I, I just, I'd, I'd be going to pass the bank with my head down because I owed two and sixpence. <laughs> but, um, and, and so I did the reports and they got the money and they got the land in a lovely uh, park down beside the town between the river and a big hill and right behind the houses. And I, they allowed me to sketch out nine holes and I was on the way, and I was just licking my wounds that time because um, 
my good neighbors in Arco had just selected Eddie and said to me, I've done great, superb drawings for them. And they, didn't <laughs> they didn't give me the job. The following week, they called from Castle Cormor. So, hooray, Eddie won me one one day. Well, Eddie won after a hundred others. And um, so that's how it happened. I was uh, I was friendly with a few of the chaps. And uh, they knew I was uh, dabbling at it. And they knew that... Um, I could do it, and of course you're doing a thing as you come in as an outside voice into a town or a village. An outside voice has a huge advantage, because the local people, all of whom made an awful lot, sitting around a table, might disagree with each other. But the, the, the outside voice has a better chance, and he has one chance, be right or be dead. Okay. Yeah? So you did nine holes on that occasion. Nine yeah. holes, yeah. Uh, done by volunteer work, which is a point about Eddie's people sometimes put in funny phrases right about Eddie, the the uh, rough edges on this and that. But it was done by a shovel and spade and wheelbarrow by local people up to a certain time, all of golf. And um, they did bloody great. Yeah. Hmm? yeah. Thinking back to laying out the course, what were the main learnings, do you think, in terms of actually getting the boost in the ground and having responsibility for 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 a, a nine hole course, you know, in terms of your first golf course. So, in terms of the main learnings, obviously, you, you your first golf course, it's a new process for you. Does anything strike you or anything stick out in terms of re- remembering some of the some of the main things that you learned? Well, the thing is, even at that young age, I had been around parts of the world, reporting and observing and reading about Augusta, go to Augusta, see how a golf course is moulded and uh, go to Mullingar, go to Burr, whatever. Uh, and I was an obs- a paid observer, a paid observer. And that's why quite a few uh, golf writers have done course design around the world because uh, they, they have had the privilege of being paid to observe. And um, so uh, that that was the main thing. And then uh, you you had to um, quickly, well, if you you have intelligence sort of, uh, in building a house, it's the same thing. It's it's a tricky business that uh, the field, if you let a contractor in, uh, he wants to do a blitz down the end of the field with a machine or two and back up, dig, dig, dig. Now we've impacted, it's all set up, so give us half the money. (laughs) <laughs> and still more than half the work left. So, uh, in organizational skill, of, uh, and and uh, I think I've been very pleased with in my life. I don't do pride in public, but uh, pride in private, that um, I guided people like that, uh, how to get things done uh, in stages uh, that wouldn't bankrupt them and wouldn't put the old golfer to his grave crying that he hasn't played in four years. What happens, you see, it's easy to go in as a big shot and say, let's dig up this whole field and turn it to muck for four years. Then uh, if you just do an analysis of this sometime, how many older members are going to die or retire from the game in those four years? If you turn it to muck, you've just condemned them to golfing death. Whereas if you can do it in stages... Uh, the budget is spread, and the impact on negative impact on people's lives is uh, reduced. Uh, 
Of course, the bad thing is they might get fed up with you after 10 years and you don't get to finish. <laughs> but you do the good deed for you do the good deed for the community. You get them started and well down the line. Huh? But you know what? At Casa Comrade, they don't seem to have got annoyed with you in any shape or form. And in fact, in 2002, you were invited back to extend the course to 18 holes. Yeah, that was amazing. That was amazing. I was so thrilled with that. They were so nice and loyal. And uh, I was working in... Um, I think it was Russell Penn at the time. They hightailed it across the country to get down there for a general meeting. I'd agreed the same price as before, you see. Nada and yeah. Zilish. Yeah, what I said. Yeah. And I was delighted to be loyal to my club. Uh-huh. And uh, But I was a bit shocked when into the meeting, there were about 150 or 60 people there, all discussing how to spend something, a budget, had a budget of something like one and a half million. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I could have got a fiver. <laughs> It didn't hurt me, but I was astonished. I said, you dumb son of a bitch, this is a good one. But, they're, know, but they're all, without exception, wonderful, lovely people. Uh-huh. And and I'm very proud of it that a small town, it's only a small town, but a very clever town, has uh, 18 holes, which gives them pleasure. And not outpriced, you know, it's, it's um, they can afford it. Okay. Um, picking up on our previous conversation about the champions club it was obviously a a goal of yours to to have your own club at the end of the day your own design and your own club um and obviously before we get on to the european club project i understand that sites at the owen moore river and loch rin castle in county leitrim were sites you considered for development in the 70s is that right yeah yeah i had um four or five projects uh, fairly well advanced. The first one to get uh, flags in the ground was uh, down uh, very close to Boyle, between Boyle and Ballymote. And it was a modest golf course because uh, 60 acres odd. And uh, I loved it because it had um, uh, this river running through it. Very romantic to look down off the hill where we're going to put the clubhouse, you know. And the adventures were many there. One one was they had a brand new tractor which went missing, you know. Someone borrowed it. And it took me three days to find the guy and he had it behind his farmhouse. I said, I think that's my tractor. He said, oh, it is. I borrowed it. Huh. And I said, well, I need it back. He said, I'm not finished with it yet. And I said, big hurry you are. <laughs> so things like that. An honest man. Yeah. He brought it back. And, um, but it got this... Uh, Done. You were living in a caravan. We went down three or four days a week up in the hill. And uh, this morning I got up and uh, there had been rain and the river had flooded. All I had was a big goddamn lake with three oh. or four red flags sticking up. Okay. No good. So a huge, uh, I mean, say I could go to university for a million years and I wouldn't get a more profound lesson in drainage. Like totally bang. Yeah. So um learned that one, okay? <laughs> Tick. And uh, I won't tell you any more stories about that. That was quite exciting, and no one killed me. I didn't kill anyone else, but yeah. uh, it was a big loss. And you'd lock, lock Rin as well, which lock interestingly, Rin. I think, has a has a connection with Rasapena and... Uh, Nordlit. Uh, Nord yeah. Owned half of Donegal as well. Yeah. So it was his home place, and it went there. It was beautiful, and I was persuaded by a couple of things 
including the range of uh, sheds, not, I wouldn't call them sheds, beautiful stone buildings. And I was in the printing business at the time. I was doing a couple of magazines and uh, my printing gear could go into those. I could have a factory base. And luckily it didn't work that way because there's been uh, sold some old linotype machinery which has gone out of age. People are so nice, give me a good price, knew that uh, <laughs> we're coming into the computer age. And I'd have had this big bloody well factory. But um, a beautiful house, which my wife and I always like houses. And, um, the, and, and then uh, the golf course. But it proved unsuitable in a couple of ways to me. One, after coming from Sligo with the uh, river flooding, here I was moving in onto the shores of the Shannon, for God's sake. <laughs> and there are about 90 acres of the 400 underwater. As you know, Ballinasloe, all those places are flooded. And if they took an inch off uh, the, the uh, weir down at, at uh, Limerick, you'd have another 30, 40 acres clear, and there'd be hundreds of acres cleared. But uh, there's several government agencies involved in in the in the in the, um, in the in the big dam, and they wouldn't give you an inch, a quarter of an inch. And then the road into it was a really bad pothole for about a mile and a half in through woodland, and no one would help you. Uh, so we backed off, and um, it got done. And uh, Faldo, Nick Faldo, was, did a design, and it's very nice. But I don't know the full story, but uh, one thing, they had canals, great drainage canals going nowhere because uh, I'd learned if you don't, no point having a drain going up to a wall. It's got to go somewhere. Eh? <laughs> so uh, whatever, I don't want to deride them but because uh, it's a very sore thing for them. But uh, And then also in a place where the local, uh, no local uh, market, to pay for this costly exercise. They want golf cheap altogether. And it wouldn't be a tourist golf place inland, such a thing, because in, in America, for example, they have thousands of really fine inland courses. So it's not, it wouldn't attract them like the pyramids would attract us. So whatever reason, it didn't work. It would have been fine for me just to go out playing shots and trying to become a a golfer, except uh, flooding would be good. So I, I, I got out of town and uh, a few other little things, but they were the two I got further stuff. Many thanks for tuning in. As usual, you can find us online at firmandfast.golf or on Twitter at firmandfastgolf. Please continue to like, subscribe, and comment. It really is appreciated. Until the next time, happy golfing.